Welcome to Ride Every Stride, Episode 20. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis, a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I'm here today with Master Horseman Van Hargis. And Van, what are we going to be talking about? Well, Laura, you know, there's a quote that I use a lot. I use it a lot of times at the ranks from my students, and I use it a lot at our clinics. Of course, anybody that's ever seen me at some of the horse expos, I've probably heard it there as well. But it's this. It's that every horse anticipates, but every great horse waits. And you see, they, they anticipate because we do what I call repetitive training. We teach a horse to do certain things. And it's actually a good way for a horse to learn is for us to do repetitions. As long as our repetitions consist of doing the same thing the same way every time. That's how horses learn. But at the same time, you can also see that patterns could develop from that. And what we hope for is that those are positive patterns. And the positive patterns would be that every horse anticipates, meaning that they anticipate their job. And let's say it's barrel racing or team roping or reining. When any event has a pattern or almost anything that we do has a pattern, the horse begins to recognize that pattern somewhere during its performance, rather, even if it's just a thing that we're doing at home, that type of performance. But they begin to anticipate that. And that's actually a very good thing to a certain degree, but it can also be a bad thing because if the horse anticipates and then acts out on that anticipation, their timing may not necessarily be correct. Let's say, for example, a horse is approaching the first barrel. And when it's approaching that barrel, it anticipates it's going to slow down and turn that barrel. What happens if it starts slowing down a little bit early before it gets there? Or what happens if it anticipates turning the barrel and turns a little bit early and knocks the barrel down? In team roping, for example, team roping uh, head horses, um, in other words, the horse the header is riding, will oftentimes just do the same job every time, meaning that they run down the arena, they catch up with the steer, the cowboy ropes, and the horse turns left. So one of the biggest habits that that head horses get into is doing what they call ducking to the left. He's anticipating his job. He sees the rope pass his head. And as soon as that happens, the horse ducks off to the left. Not necessarily a bad thing unless, of course, the rider's not ready for him to turn left. Maybe the, the rider hadn't got a dally yet, and the horse is going left one direction, and the steer is still going the other direction, and the dally has not been had. And as a result of that, the rider can lose the rope, or worse, could actually lose a finger in the rope. So that could obviously be potentially dangerous, but yet the horse is just anticipating his job. A reining horse, for example, might get used to running down a certain spot, and every time he runs to a certain spot, he's going to stop. Leading up to that spot, he might be accelerating. So oftentimes, reining horses, when they turn the corner and went into the arena, they get in kind of a straight line. They anticipate what they call the rundown, and he begins to accelerate too early. Or he may begin to accelerate when he shouldn't be accelerating at all. But yet he's, he's in his mind, he's only anticipating a job that he's done probably hundreds of times before. So every good horse is going to know their job. And every good horse is going to anticipate doing that job. And hopefully anticipate doing that job very well. But yet, I tell people all the time, every good horse 
anticipates, but every great horse waits. Our job is to try to create really great horses. So in order to do that, we can use the anticipation to our advantage. Number one, I don't want to create habits just for habit's sake. I want to create a horse that is always listening to me, knows his job, but is listening to the rider at all times. And one of the biggest things I hear, a lot of times I hear novice or new horse people say, man, my horse is so good, he can do it without a rider. And I'm thinking, you may think that's good, but in my mind, I hear that's a very untrained horse. To me, a very well-trained horse is that horse that knows his job because he's had the amount of time and the amount of hours spent to him to teach him the skills to do the job. But the best of horses wait for us to tell them. In other words, the the best of horses, the best trained horses, never do a thing without being told or suggested to do so. So again, I'm going to go back to the same quote. Every good horse anticipates but every great horse waits. They wait for the rider to tell them what to do. Kind of in a joking way, I'll tell people from time to time that the horse's job is to be the brawn. My job is to be the brains. In other words, I want the horse to know what to do, and he's to do that job, the physical work, and it's my job to do the thinking. In other words, telling the horse when to do that job that he's been trained to do. So again, just to reiterate, every good horse anticipates, but every great horse waits. And how do you get, I mean, I can see the parallels or the, that this is an extension of what you've talked about in the past about the horse learning to respect you as the leader. You know, it's a question of who's in charge here. Right. And so how do you get a horse to find that place, that balance between anticipating, knowing, you know, if it's barrels or whatever, I know what the pattern is, but I'm going to wait for her, I guess a lot of times barrel riders are women or girls, wait for the rider to tell me to do it. I know what they're going to tell me, or I'm pretty sure I know, but how do you get to that point? One thing that I try to remember is what another really good trainer told me one time. His name was Craig Johnson. And Craig said, you know, sometimes our horses will get in certain habits, like habits of doing circles or doing lead changes on specific parts of a circle or accelerating to make a circle faster or decelerating to make a circle slower. And Craig's argument was is that maybe we shouldn't always be doing circles. Maybe if we just kind of bought into the idea that if the horse could actually lope the perfect quarter of a circle, then if he did four of those, that would be a full circle. So as a result, he wouldn't always practice a full circle. He'd do a quarter of a circle here and then change directions and go the other direction and so on and so forth, just practicing parts of the pattern, so to speak. In other words, work on components. And that's what I tell people all the time. Rather than working on patterns, work on the components of patterns. For example, in the barrel racing, who's to say that in the practice session we have to run around the barrels? What if we just worked on the horse accelerating and rating? And then maybe on a whole different area of the arena, what if we worked on the horse just making really good turns? He could be turning around a dirt clod. Does it really have to be a barrel? It's not the the barrel is for our sake and it's the barrel is part of a pattern for the sake of the event. It's not meant to be as a training tool for the horse at home, you see. So oftentimes we can inadvertently create some really bad habits by the horse seeing those very specific places in the arena that he's supposed to slow down and turn. And that's when it creates the over-anticipation, the acting out on the anticipation. But sometimes I'll also do things to keep a horse honest in the sense that uh, I may create a spot in the arena. For example, I might be, uh, do a circle, and every time I get to a very specific 
fence post, say, for example, on the edge of the arena. Every time I get to that fence post, I'm going to stop and turn around and go the other direction. When I come back to that same fence post, I'm going to stop and turn around and go back the other direction. When I get back to that same fence post, I'm going to stop and turn around and go the other direction. When I get to that fence post, I'm going to stop and turn around and go the other direction. Is this getting redundant yet? Mm-hmm. Now the horse is beginning to think, you know what? I got this figured out. Every time we get to that post, I'm going to stop and turn around. So after a while, what do you think the horse is actually going to do if he's allowed to do that? He's going to stop and want to turn around at that position. So I'm, I'm kind of setting the horse up to anticipate. But the moment that I get to that same fence post and the horse begins to stop without me telling him to, now I'm going to push him past that and going to just continue the circle. You see, because again, I want him to anticipate his job. I want him to be thinking about that post. I want him to be thinking about perhaps stopping when he gets to that post. I want him to think about that if he does stop at that post, perhaps think about turning around and going the other direction as if we've done all those times before. But the moment that he thinks out or acts out on that thought, then I'm going to create a new pattern. In other words, I want the horse to get to the point where he's anticipating his job, but if he acts out on it, we're going to continue. In other words, change the pattern a little bit. Again, I'm going to reiterate the quote. Every good horse anticipates, but every great horse waits. So I'm using anticipation to my advantage in one area, but at the same time, I'm also training the horse to wait on me to tell him what to do by continuing that circle instead of stopping at the post and going the other direction. So is it, is it fair to say that sticking with the theme of barrel racing, that the horse doesn't need to know how to run that specific pattern around those specific barrels as much as what the horse needs to know is to respond immediately when you ask the horse to turn, respond immediately when you ask the horse to speed up or to slow down or to do the things, the skills that are needed in order to run that pattern around those barrels. Exactly. I mean, fortunately, I've trained several horses in several different events, one of which was barrel racing. And yet a lot of times I'll kind of and, and not to buck the system, but I will oftentimes train my barrel racing prospects not to be trained on the pattern, not to recognize to slow down or speed up because there's a barrel there, but to be aware of the barrel being there. And I may ask him to slow down or speed up at the barrel. I may ask him to turn that barrel. And when I do ask a horse to turn, whether it's around a barrel or otherwise, I want to teach the horse to turn a very specific way. Mm-hmm. In other words, I always want the horse, regardless of what we're using the horse for, is to do what I ask him to do, only what I ask him to do, and only when I ask him to do it. And that, to me, is a very well-trained horse. A very well-trained horse, coupled with dynamic athletic ability, coupled with great training, will truly be successful regardless of what event we teach them to, as long as they're listening to us and, and responding to us. The other thing about that, too, is that also creates a very safe horse, mm. a horse that's probably not going to make the mistakes, in, like in barrel racing, for example, of maybe running up the fence or shouldering a barrel so badly that it runs over the barrel and potentially causes injury to the horse or causes the horse to, to trip and fall over the barrel, which could very easily take me down with it. So I always want to keep the horse up and balanced, keeping the most athletic position. And the best way to do that is to have the horse focused on me more so than focused on the barrel. And I can see how that would be relevant no matter what discipline you're talking about. The answer to, or the key to, I guess, succeeding in, if we're talking about competitive events, 
isn't practicing that pattern or that routine or that whatever over and over and over again, but practicing those components that you talked about, the uh, responsiveness to the cues and the listening to you and the, you know, whatever it is, breaking it down, if it's a raining pattern or something, breaking it down into the, what does it have to be able to do to complete that and practicing those pieces to the point that the horse is always listening, always ready and ready to respond when you ask for it. And then a little, you know, a reasonable amount of time. Okay, let's put it all together and do this pattern or let's put it all together and do this, you know, chase this cow or whatever the thing is that you're doing. And it's not just about teaching the horse when to do those things. It's also teaching the horse the physical skills within those components to do those things and do them well. For example, how does a horse need to be positioned to rate off, in other words, slow down really well before going into a barrel turn? Or if I'm doing a barrel pat or a reining pattern, what skills do I need and how can I practice those skills? Not just to have the horse listen to me and listen to me only and don't anticipate the pattern, but to really be able to perform those skills. Mm-hmm. What Those are also parts of the components of yeah. training the horse on those components and to the skill level that we need to be to truly be successful. And developing the muscles. I I sort of think of, is this terrible? I'm thinking of Mr. Miyagi teaching the karate kid, I want to learn how to do karate. Okay, well, go paint this fence. But in this very specific way and... Wax on, wax off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those same things. And he's thinking he's not learning karate at all until he gets frustrated and Mr. Miyagi says, okay, then do this. And all of a sudden, all those movements that he'd practiced repetitively in a completely different context that made no sense came together to be exactly the skills he needed to be successful at the event he wanted to do. Right. That's a great comparison, a great analogy, because that's exactly what we do. We teach the horse the basic skills, Mm -hmm. and then we apply those skills when necessary. And the horse will oftentimes do those skills almost instinctively, but he's also doing them on our cue. And that's probably the only difference between the Miyagi example versus the horse example is that the Miyagi examples, the student there was literally instinctively responding, which is a good thing, but he's responding using the skills that was taught to him by the master. And that's what we're exactly what we're looking Mm -hmm. for in our horses. We really want to give them the skills that they truly need to be successful at whatever event we choose to put them in. And then on the discipline side is to teach them to use those skills only when we ask them to use those skills. You know, Laura, over the years, I've been very blessed to have been asked by very various horse expos to do a demonstration that we call starting your horse on cattle. And I know it's kind of a teaser because there are a lot of people out there that love to see horses work on cattle. They anticipate either cutting or team pinning or ranch sorting or roping, you name it. Or sometimes folks will just show up because they think their horse is afraid of cattle and they think that starting your horse on cattle, that particular demonstration, might help them teach their horses to overcome their fear of cattle. But I can almost see the disappointment or feel the disappointment in the audiences when I start that because we start off working on the fundamentals and the basics of horsemanship under saddle. In other words, I focus on what are the skills that I really want this horse to have before we ever introduce a cow into this arena? And what we're needing from that horse is the ability to move out, the ability to move forward and move forward under control at a walk, trot and a canter. And then I want the horse to be able to stop and stop really good, not just coast to a stop because that's not what the cow's going to do. I want this horse to really stop and 
really get his hind quarter up underneath him so that he's very well balanced over his hocks and over his hind quarter. And then I want the horse to be able to roll back really nicely. In other words, do a complete 180 for me at the moment in time that I ask him to do it. So I'm going to work on those skills so that the horse will be able to use those skills on the cow when necessary. And the emphasis is I will work on those skills until the horse almost masters those skills. And then we introduce a cow, and now the horse has the skills to be successful while working the cow. Rather than trying to teach him both at the same time, which could be very confusing for him, and, and actually could teach him how to put his feet in the wrong place. And what I mean by that is it's almost like one of my mentors many years ago said, you know, Van, training a horse to work and to use his feet is almost like training a dancer. If he never learns the wrong step, we don't have to go back and retrain it. So the ideal thing to do is go slowly, teaching the correct steps, and then over time, increase the pace, increase the tempo, and increase the speed. And before you know it, this guy can dance the tango without missing a step. So I do the exact same thing with my horses. But the differences with the horses is we're not just teaching them the steps he needs to be successful. We're also teaching him the mental focus and the mental discipline to listen to the rider. In other words, it's us being the leader at this stage to listen to us as if we're the lead dancer so that we teach him to do the step only when we ask him to do the step. And that's what I think it takes to create a really, really good horse. And better yet, let me rephrase that, a really great horse, because every good horse anticipates, but every great horse waits. Are those sorts of things any more challenging or, or less challenging in some disciplines than others. I mean, it sounds to me like what you were just saying is like in the cattle working thing, you're going back to the ABCs right. that you talked about, right. the, you know, forward movement, control of forward movement, stopping of forward movement, and then refining them. Do you find any particular disciplines that have more or less trouble with applying what you've just been talking about in terms of anticipating versus waiting and, and that sort of thing? Well, I do, but not so much because of the horse as much as it is because of the way I think sometimes horses are trained. Mm. And I really don't want to sound like I'm picking on the barrel racing industry at all, but I see a lot of anticipation. I see a lot of anxiety in a lot of our barrel horses because most of those horses are practiced a lot on the pattern of the barrels. Mm. And as a result, and it's usually practiced very fast, you know, not, not always, but a lot of times it's practiced very fast. And I've even heard some expressions like, well, I'm learning to pattern my horse. And, uh, and to those who kind of think those terms, I'd like to just introduce a thought that I think horses are more intelligent than that. I mean, let's think about it. The barrels are stationary. They're not moving like a cow might be. They're stationary. And the other thing is, is because they're stationary, it's either two rights and a left or two lefts and a right. Your mm -hmm. horse is smarter than that. Yeah. So we need to realize it's not so much about going around the barrels as it is about understanding the components of going around the barrels. And what I mean by that is, is that the components of barrel racing, I think there was a book written by uh, Sharon Camarillo several years ago, and I loved the way she wrote the book because she said it was called The Art of Barrel Racing. Mm -hmm. Art being A period, R period, T period. And it was advance or approach, rate, and turn. And those are the three components that's most important to be successful in the barrel racing. Not the barrels, not the pattern around the barrels. It's the approach to the barrel. Mm -hmm. The rate at the barrel, meaning the slowing down and the collection of the horse at the barrel. 
and then the turning of the barrel. And then it starts all over again. It's going to the next barrel. It's the approach. It's the rate, and it's the turn. Now, if those are the things we're really truly concerned about, the approach, the rate, and the turn, does a barrel even need to be present in the arena to work on those three things? Not at all. So in my basic program, when I'm starting barrel horses for a lot of the competitors out there and a lot of fraternity people, what I, what my basic program just consists of me teaching the horse to move out, in other words, approach, rate, and turn, and I don't even have barrels at the arena. Mm. I'm just teaching the horse the basic fundamental skills. Once the horse understands that, then I will introduce a barrel, but not for the purpose of training the horse. I just don't want the horse to be afraid of the barrel. So I have him learn to move around the barrel, not because I want the barrel to be a marker for him or not that I want it to be part of a pattern. I just simply don't want the horse to be fearful of the barrel. But do we need the barrel to train him? Absolutely not. So, uh, and the same thing goes with the cows. You know, the cows, after a while, when I'm training my cow horses, whether it be working cow horse or otherwise, or cutting horses, I don't necessarily need the cow in the beginning. I want to work on the skills that I will need when the cow is introduced. And once that is fulfilled, in other words, once the horse understands those skills, the cow just becomes a huge bonus. Oftentimes, you've, you've, people have heard me say that I cue my horse in progressive steps. In other words, I call it squeeze, bump, kick, and kill. And the lightest of the cues that I give the horse is obviously called the squeeze, and that's sometimes referred to as my first cue. But when we introduce a cow, now the cow becomes the first cue. Mm. It's going to give the horse the first indicator of what he is supposed to do. The second indicator comes from me as well as the third and the fourth. The same thing happens when we're doing the barrel pattern. The barrel just gives the horse an idea of where he might turn, might being the key there, because if I don't give him the cue to turn at the barrel, I don't want him to turn at the barrel. Because if I let him turn at the barrel every time he thinks he's supposed to, then it's going to screw up that anticipation formula, which means every good horse anticipates. He's, he's anticipating it, but if he over-anticipates and acts out on that anticipation, he's no longer waiting on me to tell him what to do. The end result of that will end up being, I promise, will end up being horses that are stopping short of the barrel, shouldering the barrel, running past the barrel. In other words, they do all these negative bad habits because of the over-anticipation, the acting out on the anticipation instead of waiting on the rider. Well, and it's the same kind of thing we do in any sort of activity that we do repeatedly. Over time, eventually you start looking for the shortcuts, Right, a little bit easier way to do it, a little bit, you know, maybe lazier way to do it to conserve energy. Yes. I mean, that's, that's what drives that. I, in humans, I would assume it's the same in horses. That's why you find them maybe slowing down a little sooner than they need to or leaning in a little bit because it's just a little, little easier or seems a little easier at the time. Right. To, and they're just trying to gain an advantage. Yeah. They, they think they're getting advantage of what we want them to do. And the reality is they're actually making our job even tougher because now we're having to compensate for the horse making that anticipation. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm just going to just keep saying it because I really want people to grasp it, that every good horse anticipates. That's part of a good training program. The horse is thinking about his skills. He's thinking about his job and we want the horse to want to please, but we also want him to be a great horse and those great horses wait on us riders to tell them what to do and when to do it. Well, can I ask this to take just a minute or two? You've talked about a lot of different disciplines and different kinds of things that certainly in the Western world that riders will compete in with their horses. 
And I know um, that this is not strictly speaking what this episode's about, but since we've got a couple minutes, I, I know you've competed in a lot of disciplines. You've trained horses in a lot of disciplines. You've you've had some success in past years in competitions in horse shows. Can you, in just a minute or two, share one or two, I guess, key tips for competitors, for people who, you know, assuming they're going to do the things necessary, the training that you've talked about to teach their horse to be a great horse, to know its job, but then wait for the cues, all those things that we've talked about for the last 20 minutes or so. Can you throw in a couple of tips? Because as this episode airs, people are probably going to be right. horse show season. Throw out some suggestions of things that they could do to maybe give them that competitive advantage and make help them be more successful in the show ring. Absolutely. And, you know, and Laura, that's actually a much easier question to answer than what most may think. And, and here's why. Several years ago, when I was competing very heavily in ranch horse versatility, when ranch horse versatility was kind of new, I experienced a tremendous amount of success, and I was hauling three very young horses at the time, one of which was mine and two others were client horses. And the success that we had with those three young horses ended up getting quite a bit of notoriety because we were beating horses much older than mine. For example, in order to show in the junior classes, we were showing against horses that were five-year-olds. I was showing horses that were barely three-year-olds, and yet we were winning against these horses that had almost twice the training. So it began to kind of get the attention of some of the media. You know, we had people, you know, how are you doing this on these really young horses? You're beating seasoned horses on these three-year-olds. How are you doing that? And the answer is pretty simple. I focus on the basics. Mm. You know, I, I do it over and over and over again. I emphasize it all the time. I didn't push the horses beyond their capabilities. What we focused on was mastering the basics and the fundamentals. And we also mastered me, I did my homework and understanding what was the spirit and intent of the event in which I was competing. And more specifically, if I was competing in Ranch Trail, what was the spirit and intent of that very specific obstacle within the trail? So in other words, I knew what I was meant to do. I knew what the horses were going to be required to do, and I knew what the judges were looking for. And I focused on that. And when I say focused on that, what did I focus on? Every day that I ride my horses, I'm in constant evaluation mode. I'm evaluating my skills and I'm evaluating the skills of my horse. I can honestly say I never once went to a horse show that I was not very keenly aware of my horse's strengths and weaknesses. Very honestly, though, I wasn't under a delusion that my horse was really good at doing something that he wasn't that great at. So if he was really good at something and he had very keen strengths in that, then on show day, I went there to show the judges how good my horse was doing at those areas in which he was really strong. But I was also very honest about my horse's weaknesses. And on his weakest spots, the last thing I would do would try to push the horse beyond his comfort zone, I guess you could say, and his weaknesses. So in other words, we went to the horse show trying to show off to the judges to earn points, if you will, on the horse's strengths. And then we survived his weaknesses. And then back home, what did we do? We capitalized on the weaknesses back at home in the, in the training sessions, and we tried then to improve upon his weaknesses. And before long, it was very difficult to find any weaknesses in the horses. We had gradually, over time, just converted, maintained the strengths that he already had, and then we began to chip away at the weaknesses until eventually the horse's weaknesses were so few. So what I want to emphasize to the riders 
and those that are riding their horses and getting ready to show is ride your horses enough to know their strengths and weaknesses, evaluate themselves or evaluate yourself every day, every time you ride through every maneuver that you're going to ask your horse to do, honestly evaluate yourself. And if sometimes it may take you getting the opinion of others, I would do so. What do you think my horse is really good at? What do you think I'm really good at doing? And then capitalize when you go to the horse show, capitalize on those strengths and then just survive the weaknesses. And then back at the training pen at home, you begin to just maintain your strengths, but you begin to chip away at those weaknesses until they're almost non-existent. And that's what I think, in my opinion, makes a truly good, masterful competitor. Very good. Well, thanks for sharing that. I think that kind of brings us to the end. A couple of quick notes for folks. If you have questions about the things that we've talked about on this episode or suggestions for topics that Van could cover in future episodes, be sure and share those with us. You can email us at info at vanhargis.com or you can find Van Hargis Horsemanship on Facebook like that page and share a comment or a question there. Van watches those and loves to interact with listeners on Facebook or via email. You can also check the website, vanhargis.com, where, you know, there are occasional blog posts where he talks about different things that have come up, but also Van's calendar, events that he's going to be appearing at, when the next clinics are going to be, those sorts of things. So there's lots of information available on the website and Uh, you can watch for us there. I think that's pretty much it for this time. Van, any last words that you'd like to say? No, Laura, other than this, I'd like to say thank you to all those who listen. I'm always looking forward to them listening again. Until next time, this is Van Hargis. And remember, it's your trail, your journey, your life. So ride every stride. (laughs) 